today we have a speaker. We are very, very honored to have Sabir M speaking. So take it away, Sabir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and my name is Sabir. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, uh, so a little bit about my story. Um, right from childhood, I mean, even my mother told me that I was an, you know, I was quite, I was a big baby, let's put it that way. And, uh, and right from my, my first memories were um, that I, I, I always felt like I didn't fit into this world. My mother was a feeder. She was an overeater and a feeder. And, um, and I always felt like I couldn't really connect. I had this kind of inner feeling like I didn't really belong in this world. And, um, and uh, right from childhood, you know, my, my biggest love was food. Um, we had um, school dinners here in London, in England. And, um, you know, we'd have two big windows and dinner ladies serving the food for whatever you wanted as a young, as a young man. And I'd go, I'd get my main meal uh, food, I'd ask which bits I wanted, and then I'd eat that. And then we'd had a separate window for dessert. You know, we had these, uh, I guess, lovely English delicacies like um, jam tart with custard or rhubarb crumble with custard or whatever it was. And, and there was a window and the dinner ladies behind it. I was a, a very, very young boy. And, you know, I would go up, I'd take my plate of dessert, I'd go back, I'd finish it, and then I'd look at the dinner ladies, and they would have loads of extra desserts for anyone who'd want to go back for more. And, you know, I, and I'd go, and there'd be more dessert. I just I scoffed my dessert down, and I went for seconds, and I went for thirds, you know, as much as I could get of that sugar and that, that dessert. It was the highlight of the day. And I'd sit down and I'd look at all the other, I mean, this, I remember this thought, I'd look at all the other children and think that there's something wrong with all the other children. Why aren't they competing with me for seconds and thirds? Why are they only having one plate of dessert? I thought, you know, what's wrong with everyone else? So this was my behavior right from the start. You know, I just loved food. I, I just felt, uh, but, but soon I was feeling fat and ugly. And, uh, and so food, became my solace. Um, and uh, I was lucky, my mother was a feeder. It's like, uh, Sabir, as much food as you want, you know, uh, you know I'll, I'll let you have it. <clears throat> We'd go to the supermarket. I'm an only child. I'm a spoiled only child, only son of my mother. And um, yeah, it's just what, what, what chocolates do you want? What foods do you want? I could pile it into the trolley and, and, I, and she would buy it all from me. So this carried on and on. And I, I just ate, uh, I, I wanted to be alone. I could just about manage as a small child, one male friend. Uh, the opposite sex were terrifying to me. Um, you know, just absolutely, I was petrified of the opposite sex, but I could just manage one male friend. And that was, uh, you know, that was all I wanted. And then to be alone and to eat. And as a young, young boy, I'm interested in fantasy, anything that's a different world to this world, TV, films, fantasy books that I could read and I could eat and be alone. And that's what I really enjoyed. I didn't want to be around people. Anyway, things were getting bad. I didn't realize it, but things were really getting bad. And at the end of primary school, I guess I must have been about age 10 or 11, um, end of primary school, they give you a medical checkup. And, um, and, uh, and they gave me this medical checkup from primary school. I believe I was the only one from, from my class 
that was uh, referred to what I call now um, a fat clinic, uh, the, uh, the National Health Service here in the UK. It was for obese, obese children. You know, they'd singled me out as being far too much uh, overweight. I remember going to this, uh, what I, I call it a fat clinic, NHS fat clinic in Finchley, and they would measure me with, with tape measures. Um, and then they would get out these huge metal pliers and they would measure how many inches of fat I had on my body. And I, I always remember those cold pliers, you know, plunging into my layers of fat just to, for, it, for them to measure it, getting on the scales. And, you know, as a young boy, I was just in the food. I mean, there was no brain. I don't think I had much of any brains. I was just wiped out in, in a food fog. They gave me these diet sheets and, you know, I didn't do anything that they asked me to do and it, and it didn't work. So um, then secondary school. Uh, secondary school was, um, uh, unfortunately, now my teenage hormones were coming up. I was getting into my early teens and, um, and you know, I, I felt fat. You know, I got more and more traumatized, just feeling I didn't belong in this world. I couldn't fit in. Uh, made me want to be more alone in the comfort of food. My, my, uh, my mother said to me, uh, my mother said to me when I was about 14, she came into the, into the room and she said to me, Sabir, you've got bad breath, you know, and, and she gave me this, and I, I remember her tone of voice. It was like, there was something seriously wrong. Not only was I obese now, I had bad breath. And I remember in the teens, I was just so, I was just so, I guess, so stressed and upset as a young, as a young boy or a young teenager. And then I looked, all my hair was falling out in my teens. So it's like my self-talk was, you're fat, uh, you've got bad breath, your hair's falling out. You know, there was no, there was no self-love in there. It was just absolute, like, you know, food was the comfort. I did have the one brainwave uh, I managed as a teenage man, which was to go on diets. I went on diet after diet after diet after diet. You know, if I could only at least get my get thin and get my body under control, that would be that would be the thing that would give me relief from the inner pain and that um, that the malady I had on the inside of me, the, the huge self, which was basically self-hatred and self-loathing and wanting to be left alone. And uh, um, so so, I, you know, diets, you know, I remember uh, one of the diets I had was um uh, it recommended eating a lot of fiber. So I looked at the back of the book um, I and I just, you know, I was just insane in how I interpreted diet books. Uh, there was the highest fiber food in, in the UK was uh, all brand cereal. So I just remembered I'm going to live on all brand cereal and that's going to fix my, my huge spiritual disconnect. You know, and I was going one diet after the next diet. I, I remember reading a book very famous uh, this, uh, diet book, I won't say it. But, um, you know, I started to live on salads and vegetables and raw foods. And, um, you know, uh, what happened was, um, you know, my health started collapsing. Um, uh, you know, I had uh, constipation. I had to have treatment in hospital for constipation in my teens. Uh, then, um, uh, the, the, then um, the doctors uh, said, you're anemic. I had to have treatment for anemia. You know, I was eating like a lunatic, dieting like a lunatic. I had my phase of exercise mania, one diet after the next, after the next. And um, uh, my dad, uh, my dad owned, uh, and then when I got into my 20s, 
um, uh, I um, worked my my father, God bless him, had an Indian restaurant he was the owner of in London. So what happened there was that um, he, he was the owner, I was the only son there, I was helping as a waiter. Uh, and, the, and the chef would cook these onion barges, which are fried, sort of a fried fried onions with flour and spices and sugar and salt, um, and they'd uh, deep fry it. Um, so as soon as the, the chef would half prepare the onion barges for the next day, for the next day's cooking, as soon as the chef left at 12 o'clock, I ran into the kitchen, found his onion barge tray, and, and would scoff down his onion bhajis he'd prepare for the next day. So I was doing this every day. I didn't really care what I was doing to him. And, um, and then, you know, I just wait for him. I couldn't do it in front of him, of course not. That's too shameful to scoff all the food he'd prepared for the next day uh, while he was there. I mean, I couldn't do that. But as soon as he was gone, I'd scoff the onion bhajis. And then, and then one day I went back after he left at 12 o'clock midnight, his, his shift had finished went in and I couldn't see the onion. We had these huge catering fridges, they're massive, huge, huge for, for a kitchen, for a restaurant kitchen. And I couldn't see the onion barges. I could always find the onion barges. And the poor chef had resorted to hiding the onion barges at the back, somewhere so far behind at the back of the fridge that it was difficult to find them. I still carried on. And this was my kind of, I was like a drug addict with food. And uh, that carried on. So, um, to the, I, I was studying uh, um, biochemistry at university. I had a best friend. I, I was obese. I was fat. Uh, my best friend said to me, you know, there's no money in biochemistry. Let's get a, a job in, in the stock market. So uh, cut a long story short, I got a job in the stock market. I, I, was, um, I was an equity analyst, stockbroking analyst in London. And, um, and on the first day of work, the boss, uh, the director of the company, a small stock brokerage in London, um, said, came up to me and said, hey, Sabir, uh, you've got to write uh, buy recommendations on these stocks. Um, you need to write buy recommendations. And I had just completed an MBA and I understood what he was saying. He said, just uh, the company needs to make money. You've got to write a buy on these. And of course, my financial training was to give independent buy, hold or sell investment recommendations. But I was being asked to be dishonest. And, um, and then, you know, I was full, I had this loud voice, which was always full of self-centered fear. And my coping mechanism was food. And he said that to me, and I knew he was asking me to do something wrong. But all my inner, inner voice said was, hey, Sabir, you've just taken out a 15k loan to pay for your MBA. If you lose your job, you know, you not get another job in the stock market. This is your lucky break. So I had the guilt, the inner voice that I was not living the life I was supposed to live came and, and said, and I just blotted it out. I knew how to handle any difficult feeling, whether it was guilt, shame, loneliness, fear, that I, I had a coping mechanism. And at the end of a long day in the stock market, I would, I would go off to uh, central London, Leicester Square, and I really loved buffet restaurants. And you had these very cheap, I, I didn't want nice food. I wanted cheap, crappy food, unlimited quantities for the lowest price buffet. I didn't want deluxe thing. I could afford it. I was working in the stock market, but I didn't want to eat the food to enjoy it. I wanted oblivion. I was suicidal. I wanted death. I was now, 
choosing to eat for oblivion. You know, I wanted to knock myself out to eat and eat in those dark cheap basements, Chinese Italian, unlimited amounts of food in the evening and to just knock myself out with the food. And I, you know, I just wanted the blood to, to not go to my brain. And I would do that every day at the end of a long day in the stock market to drug myself out and to get an anesthetic. And, and I, was, I was suicidal with food now. And I believe I was staggering out of those restaurants to try and collapse at bed with the amount of food I was eating. And, um, and then one day at work, they gave me a prestigious trip to New York um, to do some uh, research there in some of the companies. And, um, and uh, anyway, that's another story because I was the analyst, the companies wined and dined me with as much food as they could ply me with. But I, I won't go into that right now. But on the flight back, um, my legs started swelling. They started puffing up on the airplane and I had to actually take the shoes off my feet. They were puffing up like balloons. I came back home to, to my mother and she saw me, she was petrified at my feet. I had a blood test done and I, I was told, you know, I had to, I was immediately had to be in the, I mean, is it sketchy? It was so traumatic. I was in, uh, next thing I was in the Royal Free Hospital and uh, the doctors were telling me, you've got a kidney failure uh, and there, and I'd lost about 70% of my kidney function in about the last 24 hours. So I was literally, I had kidney failure and I was hurtling towards death. My body was collapsing and the, and the doctors were taking, you know, about 10 tubes of blood at a time. They were rushing around to every single department in the hospital. What's gone on with him? You know, he's losing his kidneys very quickly. He's on his way. If we don't know what, you know, what's causing it, he's going to die. So uh, there I was in the hospital bed. And, you know, it was like my, at the age of 30, it was like my life was flashing before me. And I realized, you know, I'd run out of, I'd run out of options. And, um, and I, was, I was coming face to face with mortality, you know, death. And I, and that was my lucky break. You know, I never thought of turning to God with the hell of my life. You know, it was a progressive illness. It got worse and worse the, to eventually suicidal overeating, you know, to drug myself out and to get oblivion with the food. And now I was facing death, kidney failure, organ failure, doctors trying to save my life. And in that hospital bed, you know, I turned to God. I surrendered. That was the last place to go. And, you know, that, that fear, that thinking at 100 miles an hour, that deep self-loathing, feeling like a fraud everywhere I went. It's in a split second, it vanished. And there was, there was stillness of my thoughts. And there was a heavenly peace and silence and a love. And I felt a higher love and a higher peace and a higher power than anything I ever found in this world as I surrendered to God in that hospital bed. And it was transformative. You know, I felt a love and a peace that doesn't come from food or from anything in the world. And, and, you know, and I knew that my only chance for salvation was, was to get that peace and that love, of, you know, I called it from God. And it was electrifying. The doctors did manage to stabilize my condition. I was still insane with food. You know, this is true. I, I mean, I almost, you know, they said avoid high potassium foods or you get a heart attack. They released me from hospital. I ate a huge bag of bananas. They said avoid bananas, you'll get a heart attack. 
took a blood test and I had to have emergency treatment. I was about to have a heart attack. So my insanity and my suicidalness was still there, but I wanted to find God. I went to spiritual group after spiritual group, you know, for my solution. I tried the diets, I tried everything, nothing had worked, but now I was trying to get that love and peace from God. I needed a miracle. You know, I was in spiritual, emotional, physical hell. Eventually, um, I was on a machine, a dialysis machine, eight hours a day to keep me alive. The joints, I, I, I had to be in the rheumatology. I was having gout attacks in my feet. Um, I was using asthma inhalers. I was in physical, emotional, and spiritual hell, but I wanted God. I wanted God with all my heart. And I went to all these spiritual groups. In one of the groups, um, a mentor of mine uh, said, hey, watch this DVD. I put the DVD on. And this man started to speaking and I had my second spiritual experience. It was like a bliss and a tingling up my spine. I knew it was God telling me, you've got to meet this man. And he was in Sedona, Arizona in the States. And I flew out. I knew God was now, I was getting these miraculous experiences and this guidance. I never had it before my whole life. Flew out to, um, to America. And when I met the man who's giving a seminar, you know, my head went silent. I went into another profound peace and bliss just to be in his presence. I later found out he was one of Bill Wilson's sponsees. You know, he had had Bill Wilson, one of the founders of the 12 Steps, um, as his sponsor. And, um, and I knew what he was saying. He talked about, you know, he talked about the 12 Steps. I came back to London. I had a solution. I needed to get a sponsor, work the steps like a lunatic for my health, um, for my emotional sanity, and for my spiritual well-being. And I, I got my sponsor in OA. And, um, you know, I was willing to do whatever it took. And I knew the answer. I'm going to work these steps like a lunatic to get that peace and love from God. Getting peace and love from food, uh, getting comfort and love from food had not worked. Getting comfort and love from parents, from bosses, from people hadn't worked. There was nothing in the world, but I had to get a great connection to that love and peace of God. And I worked the steps like a lunatic. I finished the steps with under three months. My sponsor says, hey, you finished the steps in under three months. And I think I had one or two relapses working the steps, but I'm, I'm now 12 years uh, abstinent. I haven't had body obsession for 10 years straight. No body obsession for 10 years. Only one day of food obsession in 10 years. Um, you know, what, this, what Bill Sponsee told me was that, um, you know, God can not only cure any addiction, but also health problems. You know, as I worked and tried to get that connection, surrender to God in the area of my kidney failure, my gout, my asthma, as I worked on those and the food, it was like I was, you know, I got a transplant. I was discharged from the asthma clinic. I was discharged from the gout clinic at hospital. It's like my health miraculously improved. You know, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not obese any longer. I haven't more or less had food or body obsession for a decade. And, you know, getting a sponsor in OA and working the steps. And, you know, it's like I've never overdosed on prayer. I've never had too much meditation. I've never gone and given too much service. I've overdosed on food. I've been suicidal with that and other things in the world. But I found that the more I sponsored, the more I prayed, the more I gave service, the, the better my health, the better my weight, and the better my freedom came. So for me, the answer is in the program, but what is the solution? And I'll, I'll quickly, I know I'm about on time to wrap up and I should shut up very quickly, but um, let me say this. I mean, 
I was told this very simple thing, which I now operate by, which is that if I want a miracle and peace and love and synchronicities in any area of my life, I want, if I want God to intervene, I have to get a very strong spiritual connection to God in that area. I, you know, I wanted a strong connection to God, that peace and love on a daily basis to be so strong by working the program that I never get body obsession and food obsession ever again. And, you know, I'm 12 years absent by God's love. God loves me so much. He doesn't want me to have overeating, to have kidney failure, to have asthma, to use walking sticks to walk. So there is a solution in this program. And I'm just very, very grateful uh, for, for my chance that OA has given me. Thank you so much for letting me share today. Thank you. Samira, thank you so much. Wonderful as usual. Thank you so, so much. Okay, so.